Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beej, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. A lot of developers start out in the job search feeling relatively optimistic about their chances of getting a much better job. However, that optimism can often quickly turn to horror if they end up landing the wrong job. In this episode, we're going to discuss some of the things that might be red flags during the job search. We hope that this will make you more comfortable about the jobs you take. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Man, this uh, quasi-quarantine thing, it's not working all that well. Like, both sides are getting on my nerves. Mm-hmm. You know, because I'm you know, I'm staying in the house. I'm not really doing a whole lot. Like normal? Yeah. It's just like, you know, I, I've limited the amount I go out and all that kind of stuff. But I'm still going to go to the grocery store. I still go outside and walk. And there's people that are wound up that people are going anywhere because they think that like anything's going to stay in one piece if we completely shut everything down. And then there's the people that are like, I'm going to go everywhere and they're arguing with each other. And it's just, uh, yeah, I just think that we all need to do constructive things with the situation that we have and mm-hmm. probably arguing about it on Facebook isn't it. So I guess that's about all I'm going to say. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm at my wits end with some of these people. We have to understand these people were sitting around on Facebook arguing before they had to stay in all the time. I know, but it's just like, okay, Karen, you can't call the police because somebody's walking down the street at 1130 at night with their dog. Yeah. Uh, I will say dogs have been loving this because like uh, they've been getting a lot more walks than normal. Oh, yeah. So how about you? Well, uh, my music lessons are online now. I had to figure out Skype on my phone for that. Uh, Basically, everything is online and virtual these days. We're having small groups at church using Zoom. Uh, Amanda is teaching with Zoom too. Actually, we're on her account right now. She has a paid account, so we're testing it out to see if we want to pay for the service for our uh, calls. What's really cool is you can record the call. So we're doing that in addition to what we normally do uh, sort of as a backup because it's not always the most reliable. Uh, we've had some some technical difficulties and uh, the the company that we've been using for recording has, uh, when we first started using them, they were very responsive. Like you, you got in touch with them. They were right off. Like I would send them a message and get an email right back now. Yeah, it's a day or more. Not so much. Yeah. And it's like, we can't get the recording that we just did. We need immediate assistance. So we go on like their chat bot and it's like, oh, everyone's gone home for the day. Yeah. And it's like, you know, do I just lose a couple hours worth of work? Because like your your target audience is podcasters. When do most podcasters record? They don't do it in the middle of the workday. Yeah. So, I mean, some do, yeah. but those are professional podcasters yeah. and there's not as many of those as you would think. So, oh, also, hey, I got an offer on my ring. It was a scam. Ah. Yeah. So let me tell y'all what happened. I get, like, it's on Facebook Marketplace. That's where my friend who's a jeweler told me to put it. So it's on there. It's been on there for a few weeks. I get an email. Hey, is this still available? Yep, it is. Cool. I really like it. I'm willing to pay your asking price. 
uh, and a little extra to ship it to my fiance in Miami. Like, oh, neat, cool. So a little bit of more back and forth and stuff. And they're like, okay, hey, I sent you a, uh, they're like, what's your, your PayPal email address and, and your name? I guess I, it makes sense. They want to make sure I am, like, they're sending it to the right person. Like, they didn't type in the email address wrong, so they get the name too. Yeah, so I, I give them that. Then a little bit later, all right, I've, I've sent the funds. Kindly check your email and your spam folder for uh-huh. the, the email <laughs> confirmation about it i'm like or i could just check the paypal app don't have it and uh then i i checked my email and it wasn't there check the spam it was there oh from, man uh, it, it looks like a legitimate email address saying that the money is on hold and so I'm like this just seems wonky so i they had the address on there so i just copy and paste it over to google yeah, lots of uh, lots of scam, like those those websites that like list out scammers popped up. I'm like, hmm. So apparently they will they'll send you this email and then complain about you on PayPal and stuff, um, or or Etsy or whatever you're doing. Like that was some of the stuff I got, and I'm like, oh. And PayPal's um. Their not refund their security thing right doesn't work if it's a if it redirects and so this is a an address that redirects apparently and so I'm like hmm so they sent me another message on Facebook it was like you know hey are you uh, are you there hello I'm like hey I'm not seeing it in my PayPal um, I checked on the app and it's not showing a pending payment. <laughs> <laughs> like check your email. I'm like, oh yeah, I don't have access to that email account. So, <laughs> um, but I have access to the PayPal app, and it's not there, man. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Gollum. Try the next Hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> then I reported them to Facebook. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know, if I report them first, it makes. Like it's it's one of those things. It's like the first one to make the report is the one that's believed, kind of thing. Yeah, but uh, yeah, you gotta watch out for that stuff. And so I was, oh man, I was so excited. I'll, I'll be honest, because like selling that ring is gonna bring me enough money to, um, you know, to to pay off the uh, the government. I told you about that, where they uh, they charged me back taxes for getting some loan forgiveness stuff. Yeah. And uh, so I was going to be able to to pay that off and to uh, buy a couple of other important things I've been saving up for. So I'll tell you all about that uh, later. Stay-at-home order from the governor came out uh, yesterday. This was not a shelter-in-place mandate. We were kind of worried that it might be. But um, the plan is for Amanda and I to go over to my mom's if that comes out. That way we can help her around the house. There's plenty of room. She's got more yard than I have, so the dogs have plenty of room to play around. The internet over there is yeah, it's bad. decent enough <laughs> comparatively. No, no, the, you're you're yeah, comparatively. I mean, I have really high speed internet. You're thinking of their place up in Sparta, okay? Maybe because I've I have not lived at the the house my mom lives at with her, where she was controlling the internet. Yeah, so like you're thinking of the house up in Sparta. That was a place with a bad internet. 
yeah. here. It's not great, but that that hasn't come out yet. Our plan is to go. I'm just going to be honest. It may affect the audio quality some. Not sure. Should have enough time. This stay-at-home order, or safer-at-home order, I think is what it's called, doesn't go into effect until midnight tonight. So like they, they usually give a day or so. So there should be enough time for me to pack up my audio equipment and take it with me. If anything, I'll at least have my portable equipment, like the portable setup I have, uh, stuff that I've used at conferences, and that quality wasn't terrible. So we'll we'll see. But yeah, it's uh, definitely we live in uh, interesting times now. That being said, let's go ahead and get on into book club. This is from Remote Work, The Complete Guide, Chapter 4. It's entitled, What You Need for Effective Remote Work. In this chapter, I discuss what you need to be able to work effectively in a remote environment. While you can certainly skimp on your equipment and the way you have everything set up, doing so over the long term is pretty risky. If you really want to be able to work from home for an extended period of time, you really need to spend the time to make your home office environment as stable and effective as you possibly can. Doing this makes it easier for you to remain productive while working remotely and reduces the risk that a minor problem is going to be used in office politics to drive you back into the office or to another job. So there's a pretty good little punch list there of all the stuff you need and how you need to be thinking about your your setup so that you can avoid having problems that get you back into the office. And we'll have a link for you uh, for that in the show notes. So we have a Slack question came up just the other day, and I do hope I am pronouncing this right from, Will, correct me if I'm wrong. You probably know this better than I do. Frey Dumazi? Uh, maybe. Okay. It says, hi, everyone. I'm having a bit of a problem at work. And I'm curious if anyone can give me some tips before I address this with management. I feel like I'm getting a burnout for a specific project. I work as a mobile dev at an agency and I work on around eight projects per year. My schedule is completely packed for the next six months. And one of the projects I'm assigned to right now is really giving me motivational problems. Now, I cut out a lot of the specific details. Um, He talks about the app, uh, such as unstable API differences and iOS and Android A lot of standard stuff you have as a mobile dev, a lot of the problems there. One thing specific he says is the tasks are one-liners such as make the profile screen the same as the website, which we all know those can be kind of frustrating. He goes on to talk a little bit more and then he closes with, I have multiple other projects I love to work on, but this one is really bringing me down and having me stare at the walls. Does anybody have any tips on how to handle such a situation or get motivated to work on this? Yeah. Okay. So the motivation, I guess, is the trick, right? Because I've done lots of software that was extremely boring. You know, lots of accounting related stuff. Just, uh, you know, the trick to it is to not need the uh, work that you're doing to be the thing that motivates you. Uh, in, at least in these cases, right? So, you know, you're getting paid for this. Find something 
that you can reward yourself with at the end of this project and do that. Even if it's just like a little short vacation, a little short trip somewhere, you know, you're going to have to find something like that uh, because there's not going to be intrinsic motivation here. Yeah, I was going to suggest something very similar, but a little bit more immediate. He, he says that he loves doing all the other projects and finds those interesting and is motivated to work on those. So I'm going to suggest eat the frog on this one. You know, when you know you've got tasks for this one, do it first and reward yourself by doing the others for finishing these tasks by, by doing the most interesting, the most fun of those other tasks and try to break it up. If, if possible, I realize sometimes it's like, all right, we got to get this one piece out. Uh, but if at all possible, try to break it up so that you're not doing multiple tasks on this project at a time, but you're doing a few tasks. And normally I say the opposite. Normally I say, try to stick with one project to keep, you know, so that you're, you're not context switching a lot. But in this case, you know, do one or two and then switch over to something you enjoy doing. Yeah. I, you know, get yourself built back up and then come back to it. Yeah. Cause the thing with projects like this is that the dose determines the poison. And if you're, yeah, that's so true. You know, if you're having to deal with it too much for too long, I mean, it'll, it'll completely burn you out. I've been there, done that. Um, it's it's not worth it. Also, you might want to see if you can just uh, foist this project off on someone else because um, mm-hmm. there's probably somebody at the company that enjoys certain kinds of problems and that project may have those problems for them. Yeah. Um, if, you're, if you've got any luck, that might actually work out for you as well. I will also say that there is a slight perspective shift that might help a little bit. One thing that you can look at when you're when you're dealing with difficult situations, um, and this is something I've had to tell myself over and over again with this whole quarantine crap, is you can look at it as, hey, this is a problem I got to deal with, or you can look at it as this is a test. This shows me my weak spots. This is a thing that I can get through and be better for having gone through. Mm-hmm. Because I guarantee you, if you ever have to write an API, if you have to do any kind of stuff with mobile, you know, that might go in this direction, you probably are not going to create a situation like the one you're dealing with because you've, you know, you've been dealing with it. So like, look at the being on the receiving end of this as, Hey, this is a blessing because this helps my future efforts Yeah, because I now definitely know what not to do from the other end. Um, I know that that doesn't help a ton right now, but you know, that's another thing to keep in mind, like mind this for stuff that you can learn to make you better and look at it that way because eventually it will help you in that regard versus mm-hmm. just burning you out. That's really good. I like that. Frey, thanks so much for being a member of our Slack community. Uh, I know there was a conversation on there that is still ongoing. I think someone just recently posted about it when I had uh, had pulled this. Yeah, had pulled this. So uh, Adam did. Yeah, there's, there's a conversation going on right now about it. Uh, and I think that's awesome. I love our Slack community. Yeah. Send us an email to waterbottle at completedeveloperpodcast.com because we've got a complete developer water bottle just for you. Guys, if you'd like your very own complete developer water bottle, leave us a review on iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. We're also on Instagram and Tumblr. Hey, I just recently posted some Instagram stuff. I had promised some pictures of the conference that I didn't get to go to because of the virus stuff. But uh, Amanda and I went uh, went for a ride 
that weekend. Social distancing on the motorcycle. Staying six feet apart. Uh, well, the two of us were staying six feet apart from everyone else. But uh, yeah, so I posted some pictures from that. Uh, anyway, you can join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Obviously, we pull some comments from there. Uh, this was a really good one and one that I thought should be addressed uh, as soon as I saw it. So thank you so much. Your advertisement could be here. <laughs> if you like the show and would like to advertise on here, send us an email to adverts at completedeveloperpodcast.com. We have short-term, long-term, and other sponsorship opportunities. Reach out to us and let us help you reach the people you are trying to serve. Hey, in this time where everyone's sitting around listening to podcasts because they're bored out of their minds, this is the time to advertise to them. When you're looking for a new job, it's easy to take the first job that comes along, especially if you're desperate. And it might even turn out okay. However, it's also possible that you'll end up in a job that is absolutely miserable, burning you out and making you hate software development. Worse still, when you finally get to the point where you are exhausted enough with your job that you end up quitting, or worse, getting fired, the damage has been done. A bad enough job can completely ruin software development for you to the point where you dread working on code at all. This has happened several times to Will over the course of his career, and it's really hard to recover from. I know I was there through several of these times and saw the effect it had on him. It was rough. Yeah, I seriously considered just stopping and going and being a plumber. Mm -hmm. Just be you know walking away from the whole thing because of how bad some of these jobs were. However, there is some hope. Uh, as you'll learn by screwing up enough, usually the warning signs are really easy to see, uh, especially if you've been through the ringer a few times, provided that you know what to look for. So we're going to talk about some of the things that might indicate that a particular job might not be the best choice for you. To make this easier, we're breaking this episode up into areas based upon where you are in the hiring process. We'll walk through some stuff you should look for in the initial job posting, the first contact with the company, the screening phone interview, the interview follow-up, an on-site interview provided you get one and or your first week of the job. Yeah. So before we jump into this, I just want to say in a bit of a meta statement, uh, Will did a great job breaking these up and it's going to make my life very easy creating the show notes for it. So please check out the show notes on our website to see how awesome of a job Will did in breaking this up. Thanks. Although I will say, um, you know, like I can't get to all the red flags. Like I could write a book on this. Um, hey, there's your next book. <laughs> uh, no, actually it isn't. I've already kind of started on something. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, I can't handle this quarantine. Like, I got to have something going. Um, So, you know how I am. So, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. Yeah, I, I know. I am a little bit jealous of the people that get to have time to do stuff. I am busy. I don't have a lot either. I'm just, I'm like, you know, I want something in the pile that's for me. But anyway, uh, yeah, we'll get to that. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, once it's a little bit more firm. So, let's talk about the job posting stage. Um some red flags that may come up uh, is especially be careful about verbiage that indicates that the company really, really overestimates themselves and you've never heard of them. Yes. Things such as we only hire the top 5% of developers. 
who then immediately churn right away and we reclassify them as the bottom 95%. <laughs> yeah. This is a load of garbage most of the time because is their pay scale in the top 5%? Like, does it merit the best devs? Or are they deliberately ripping off the top 5% and hoping that they won't catch them? Or are they just full of crap and they have no real evaluation? Um, most of the time, this is kind of a bluff thing that they say, and it's not accurate um, as far as what value that they're actually getting from the devs. Usually, it tends to mean that they have a Byzantine, awful interview process of which they're extremely proud. And it probably is designed to help them hire yes men who feel lucky to be there. Because after all, if you go through 10 rounds of interview and you've got to do a, you know, a home work project that takes you 30 hours and you get the job, yeah, you're happy to get it because you don't want to do that again. Well, I mean, if you go through all that and they pay you in the top 5%, I mean, yeah. what, are, what are we talking about here? I mean, this is, this is 2020, so I know we try to keep our content evergreen, but just a little reference point for what we're talking about in top 5% of 2020. Um, I would are say... We, are we talking like 500,000? In Nashville, probably not, not unless it's something really... No, no, no. I'm talking, I'm talking 5% overall. Uh, it it could be once you get like some of the expensive cities in there and mm -hmm. a lot of times they'll do stuff with stock options. Yeah. Uh, which is the really sneaky thing they'll do. They'll go, well, our stock is worth this. Okay. What does your company do? Well, we make a social network for chimpanzees and we valued our company at a billion dollars. It's like, well, you know, we only have a hundred shares of stock and we're giving you two of them. Like that's not really actually worth anything. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, there's a lot of games that get played here. Can I can I trade that stock for uh, for actual cash? Yeah, for in gold or toilet paper, <laughs> which is the new coin of the realm. Toilet paper. <laughs> uh, like seriously, I mean, yeah, we're, we're we're no longer in the gold standard. We're in the toilet paper standard. We've been in that since the Federal Reserve, but let's not get into that discussion. <laughs> um, we're just going down to where we're supposed to be. No, but like you know, like literally, I I think I've got a. I think I've got a way to get toilet paper, um, kind of a black market way. And it's like, it's like arranging a drug deal. It's ridiculous. <laughs> you know? Anyway, going back to the thing. Um, another thing that they'll say is we're looking for a very specific type of developer and we have a thorough set of interviews to find them. Sometimes this is really true. There's a company here in town that has some phenomenal people working there and their interview process is brutal. I did not get through it. Mm -hmm. Now, I got several stages in. I just didn't, I could probably do it now. You know, it was, it was definitely a wake up call. Uh, sometimes you do need a developer with a specific set of skills or really high skills or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. However, most of the time, what they're looking for is somebody who is compliant. And that's what these tests are. Like yeah. how much crap can we throw at this person before they break? And if it's enough crap, we'll hire you because we know that you'll take all the crap that we're fixing to dump on you. If you can't tell, when you're there, why your specific set of skills are exactly what they need. The, the important point here is the why. Why do they need your, like that particular set of skills? Um, I mean, they may not be the ones you have, but why are they looking for that specific set of skills? Right. If you can't tell why, then you're going to be disappointed. If you can, then obviously there is a reason that they need that specific set of skills. If it's an older bank, they may be needing someone who... Uh, yeah, who can write COBOL and <laughs> Angular. 
because they have a system that uses both. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you just like, yeah, we don't even want to get into that discussion, <laughs> yeah. but um, yeah, <laughs> if you can't figure it out, it's probably because they don't really need it. And they're just, they're trying to attract developers by sounding like they're better than they are. Mm-hmm. So here's another one that they use a lot that they'll say to try to sound better than they are. And this is a real quick one. Uh, work hard, play hard. Whenever I see that in a job posting, uh-uh. because I know who works hard and I know who plays hard and they are not the same people in those environments. I worked at a company that did this and it was 60 to 80 hour work weeks for all of us, except mm-hmm. for management who was never there. They were always on the golf course. They were the most tanned people I've ever seen. Hmm. So just saying. Yeah. Enjoy that skin cancer, y'all. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, their development process was just another cancer in their life, right? So so the next one under job posting is a lack of clarity about what you're going to be doing. You know, some companies hire before they really know what they're doing. And this can often mean that you have to pivot multiple times during your tenure at an organization. Yeah. If you don't know what you want out of your career, this can actually be good because this will get you exposure to a lot of different stuff. And that's mm-hmm. fine, right? Like if you're a junior dev, but like if you're like me and you've been doing .NET since it came out, yeah, um, probably not the best deal because, hey, next week you might be doing Go. And then the week after that, you're doing, you know, you're doing assembler on the, you know, PDP 11 or something, you know, whatever they drug out of the closet, like you never know. So you don't want to be in this situation if you kind of have a goal in mind. I I will say this. So it it depends because you've worked mostly with smaller companies. Yeah, this is definitely a small company phenomenon. Yeah, in larger organizations, especially ones with like a completely separate HR department that may be on a different floor or a different building, And in more public sector type jobs where the HR department is a whole nother department, literally. Yeah. It's, it's a bit different because the HR people really have no idea what you're doing and they've got just generic developer things, postings. Um, And this is, this is something for, at least what I've seen just looking, like looking in the public sector at jobs where it's, you don't know what they're doing. Um, I know we've hired people, or not hired, but we've interviewed people who had none of the skills we needed. But when I went back, I'm like, why in the world did they even come in? It was because the job posting had none of the information that was relevant to what we were doing. Yeah, It was just like, oh, we need a developer. To some extent, like large organizations you know, they will look for people and they'll find good people and then find a spot for them because they have enough spots. Yeah, that that's the idea. It's just when you're a, when you're a small department in a larger organization looking to fill a spot, right? then it becomes a problem. That's yeah. just what I ran into. Another thing too, um, besides this being a waste of time, if they're extremely vague, uh, it can indicate things being a lot worse. Um, you'll run into some scuzzy people in tech. Um, <laughs> you'll run into scuzzy and, people everywhere, but yeah, there. Yeah, you really will. Um, for instance, I I have been approached by people who are doing things that were borderline illegal, or it wasn't real clear whether it was legal or not, mm-hmm. or just you know sketchy in general. 
you'll have companies that are running like low budget pornographic operations or quasi legal investment schemes. And they will approach developers this way. And it's very vague what they're doing. And when you finally pin them down, it's something that you don't want to be anywhere near. Yeah. And you know that, I mean, you and I've had conversations with, you know, people that were like doing stuff like this and it's like, no, I'm not going to do anything with you. Yeah. This is <laughs> back. Uh, you know, it's been a while since you and I've done any consulting uh, before I started school when you started writing. But uh, yeah, back when we used to do consulting together, uh, you, you run into them. I mean, it's, I would say maybe one in one in 30 or 40, 40. 50. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. It's not, it's not common, but every now and then we would run across someone who was just doing something. And we, when we finally dug deep enough, usually after like the second or third dinner or whatnot, where we sit and talking about what they're trying to get, get accomplished, we find out what they're actually doing. It's like, yep. Thank you. But no, thank you. Consultations free. We'll, uh, yeah, we'll move on now. Another thing that may come up is they may be asking for way too much experience for what they're actually willing to pay. So for instance, they may do something where they're paying a junior developer salary, but they're expecting five years of experience. There's usually a reason for that if those things don't match. Um, So this can be anything from not having a clue about the actual market value of a developer in the area, um, which is actually pretty common. A lot of times if you've got kind of a, small second tier city that suddenly grew mm-hmm. like Nashville. Um, you'll still see companies around here that are like, Oh yeah, we'll, we'll hire a senior developer and we'll pay them $60,000 a year. And it's like, nah, dude can get six figures. No problem. Yeah. You know that like, that's not a thing. Sometimes they make the job posting in such a way that they know nobody will bite because it makes it easier to outsource. So there's sketchy companies doing that kind of mm-hmm. stuff too. So like they'll, they'll put really specific criteria, you know, like the whole, Oh, they can do COBOL and they can do angular. And they also, you know, they also speak Farsi and you know, like, and these are the job requirements. And it's like, is that the job requirement or is the guy that you know, that you want to put in that position? I was, I was going to say, sometimes it's, um, they already have someone in mind. I mean, I've, I've seen, and they that. have a process. Like it's big companies do this some. It's yeah, I say I've I've seen that at big companies. I've seen that all over the place. Um, where they got someone in mind that they want. Yeah, and the thing about it is, is like they really. I would almost rather than be able to just hire that person and go on instead of putting a job posting out there that's that wastes the time of people mm-hmm. who are looking for work. What's frustrating is when it's like I've seen this with government contractors people who are like under legislative requirements and stuff, they have to post it even though they're going to, even though it's like, we're going to promote from within, we legally have to post it. Yeah. And that's the frustrating thing. Yeah. It's, and it's set up that way. I mean, it's, it's also a thing. I know some companies are pretty sketchy and they use this to hire visa holders. Mm -hmm. You know, they've got these specific requirements and it's like, okay, we couldn't fill this position. Government let us hire this visa holder. We're going to bring them over here and we're going to hold that over their head, right? Like the visa holders are not coming out ahead on this either. Everybody's losing except the employer. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's sketchy places. Like there's just like they're sketchy people. Yeah. That's just the way it is. Yeah. You just have to know, you just have to know how to spot them. So 
the next phase after the job posting is the initial contact. This will be your first talk with somebody from the company, usually trying to set up an interview, find out a little bit more. Um, this might be kind of a phone screen with the HR people as well, a little bit, mm -hmm. like the people that don't really know what's going on as far as what you do. The biggest red flag that you ever see here is that you cannot pin them down on a time for an initial contact or the time changes repeatedly. Mm. I've not had that happen, so. So like, oh, you got... You got an interview at two o'clock and you get called at one forty-five. Hey, can we move this to tomorrow? And then you go to, you know, tomorrow it gets moved again. There are companies that will do this and there's several different reasons that this happens. Um, some of them are just messed up and they have confusing hiring processes and they don't actually know who's in charge. Mm -hmm. No, I will say this. I have had it happen where I was interviewing. I had an interview scheduled and the person who was supposed to interview me was in a car wreck. Yeah. But here's what happened. They called. Um, obviously I didn't, I didn't get that job. Uh, actually they ended up making me an offer after I already had a job. Long story, but uh, they called me and said, Hey, you know, they told me what happened. They're like, Hey, our, our hiring manager, he was in a car wreck. He's got, he's dealing with that. Can we reschedule it for next week? You know, and it's just, you know, life happens. So just because they reschedule doesn't mean this is going to be a thing. But if they do it for a legit reason, most likely they're going to tell you, oh, hey, our hiring manager is, you know, wasn't a car wreck. Our hiring manager went into labor, you know. Yeah. It's something. Whatever. I mean, you never know. It could be a lot of different things. Yeah. Uh, you know, and. Once once is okay, but when it happens over and over again, that is an indicator of other things. Um, yeah. And you also have to think about this. This is the first impression that they're giving to somebody that they want to bring into the organization. So if it's real bad, like being in there is going to be worse, right? Like this is like a first date. Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, whatever good impression they're trying to make, if it's horrible, the real thing is always worse. Yeah. And, you know, the, the thing is, is it's unlikely that anything else in that organization is going to be better if you're seeing this. And unless you have a plan of hiding out within unintelligible business operations and not really working that hard because you figured out how to, you know, play the process off and you're just sitting there, this is probably not a place that you're going to be happy. Like if you've got any hustle, this kind of place will really um, break that. The other thing is, is if they take too long to make a decision or you can't get a clear answer, it can also indicate some other things that are going on with the hiring process. Um, mm -hmm. First of all, it tends to mean that developers are very low on the totem pole at that organization because most places are having a hard time getting enough people. So if they're you know putting you last, that tells you something about organizational politics that you probably couldn't see otherwise. Yeah, this uh, generally tends to be an artifact of a lack of respect at the very best. This can also happen when they have too many people interviewing for one position and are really trying to con to narrow it down before proceeding. Yeah, and you know, like what they used to do is just take half the stack of resumes and throw it in the trash and then go on with the others. But now it's like, oh, we've got to have metrics and stuff around it. And it's like, no, you don't. You could just toss it and not bother those people. You know, like, but they won't. Uh, the thing about it is, is if there's too many candidates, um, one thing you're going to learn over time is that if everyone fits, no one fits well. Yeah, that means their their criteria are not near specific enough 
for what they need. And so the other thing that might happen is, and I've seen this too, where you've got like HR and then HR has no idea what's going on. They almost never do. I do have a lot, like I, I sound like I hate HR, but I have a lot of respect for them lately because they don't know the ins and outs of the business and yet they're expected to hire people to do the ins and outs of the business. But then you've got managers who kind of know what or what's going on, but may not know the specific details. So what I have seen happen in situations like this is you get down to like a hiring committee that has like maybe some leads, maybe a couple of like senior developers on it, the people that they're going to be working with. And when when it finally gets down to them, which is usually like round two or three of the process, that's when they go, nope, nope, nope. I mean, I had someone who uh, was interviewing for a, a public sector job who put in their, like, they responded to the questions that they were sent about, you know, what experience do you have with Angular, with things like this? That's newfangled technology, and I just got out of school, so I can't afford that. But government doesn't use that. Really? And I'm like, well, the first thing, like, I'm talking to a lead developer on this committee, and I'm like, um, I thought, I thought Angular was free. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, I mean, I, I, maybe if you've got an older computer, but like the person had experience with like languages that you have to pay $3,000 for, you know, and the IDE to use. Oh, so Delphi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I'm just like, um, do you, I don't think you like. How did you even make it this far? Yeah, but yeah, you know, then but eventually they get down. Like if it's if it's set up right, they'll get down to a point where it's like the people looking at them and going, um, honestly, I'll be honest with you guys, I I didn't, but I really really wanted to interview this person. I I tried to get them to let me interview this person because I just wanted to see who would put stuff like that on like when you're asked what experience do you have with this technology with this free technology oh i can't afford that and you know i have negative money older <laughs> so when i yeah, get the for government free, it costs uses me money. older tech <laughs> yeah i'm like why would you put that yeah like you know uh, yeah there's I mean, did you think it was a trick question like I, I really, I, I still don't know the answers to these, and I want to know. Did you think it was a trick question? What? Why would you put stuff like that? Yeah, there's. I mean, it's just, and it wasn't literally that. It, it wasn't that exact same thing because, like, you know, I'm trying to protect privacy and whatnot. But it was similar to that, and I'm still just like, I don't know why you would put that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, that is the thing too, right? Like a lot of these people that are hiring, they're dealing with those kind of people. And sometimes the process yeah. is built to filter those people out and it filters out normal people. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, like... Can I, can I tell a quick story here? Sure. Um, on, on that point. So, um, before I got into tech, 
You know, I don't work there anymore, so I can talk about Vanderbilt. Largest private employer in the state for a long time. I think they still are if Nissan hasn't expanded too much. So I worked as a psych tech at the psych hospital, kind of a non-licensed counselor position, uh, developed a couple of different tools that like programs that they use on their addictions unit. And then um, because of school, I ended up moving to a weekend role in the admissions office. And then I moved to the emergency room as a, as a tech there because I wanted to get some experience. Well, then they had a position open up in the uh, psychiatric hospital again on the same unit where I had worked before, where they were still using some of the groups and programs that I developed. So I applied for the position and I got an email from HR saying I wasn't qualified. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and I'm like, I worked there for three years and developed most, like several of the, the groups that they are still using. So I sent an email to the, to the manager. Um, it was a new manager. I sent an email to him like, Hey, I got this, uh, this response from HR. I was trying to apply for your open position. And, uh, yeah, he was like, wait, because he had worked there before. He's like, you want to come back and work here? <laughs> it's like, when can you meet me? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I will say that that is definitely a, an issue. Um, but that's just the thing with larger, larger organizations where the HR is like completely separate from. Yeah. And, and this goes right into the next thing, right? Which is where they don't know what you do or why they are talking to you. Yeah. Um, now, again, with HR, yeah, sometimes you have to get through some screening or they give you questions or whatever, and then you get past that and you get to the real person that you're interviewing with. Mm-hmm. You might also end up talking to people who just don't have a clue why you're being hired and like it's in the IT department. So like you're talking to lead dev and they don't know why they're hiring more people. Yeah. This can indicate a lack of organization within the organization itself. They don't have communication pathways that work. Um, Mm -hmm. it can also occur when a company has, uh, really, really bad internal processes. So you're going to be fighting those things when you get hired, if you get hired Mm -hmm. in general, you can just take this as a sign that you're not really that important to them and they're kind of a body shop. Yeah. Um, now a body shop is a great way to get your foot in the door if you have to, but it's still better to not do that. If this is the dev team instead of you know a random HR person like I was talking about, it's even worse. I mean, this means that internal communications like within the development department are broken down badly. It can also be an indication that one of the people interviewing you is about to be fired and doesn't know it. That that can lead to lots of issues. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been let go before too, where like the day before I was let go, they interviewed this guy and I was on the dev team and I wasn't in the interview room. Hmm. You know, of course I cleaned up my desk that day. I was like, I, I know what this is. And sure enough, you know, the next day I was let go with a nice fat severance check. So I wasn't mad, but, um, you know, companies will do this and they won't be honest with their people. Now, bear in mind, it's like, okay, great. I got this job and this this other guy's out of luck, but pretty soon you're going to be that other guy and you're not going to see it coming either. Yeah. The things, the way things end it tends to reflect the way they began. Um, so, yeah, be really careful about this. If the company can't express to team members why they're hiring a new team member, you 
probably shouldn't expect it to be any better after you get hired. Um, mm-hmm. It can also indicate that the IT department is heavily outsourced and or there's so much churn that the IT team can't keep it straight. You know, they, they have no clue what's going on because so much is going on at the same time. Churn is a big one. It kind of depends here. Like if they are going through a change, like the first job I had after my apprenticeship, they hired me on because they were making a massive transition to like to from older web forms to newer technology. And I was brought in to help make that transition. Right. But that was expressed to you. That's the trick there is like when nobody knows and you can't get an answer, it's like, "Eh, you're probably, that's not going to be a good thing. You know, next they seem rushed. Yeah. Like if they're in a big hurry to move you through the hiring process and I don't mean like, Hey, we're trying to get you through this quickly so that we're not wasting your time. That's okay. Mm -hmm. But if they're just really, really rushed and trying to get an answer from you, like really quick and not giving you enough time to think. Um, this is a bad sign. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it could be that you're just an extraordinarily good fit and, you know, it was love at first sight or something like that because, you know, we totally know that occurs in business, right? You know, or that you really impressed them, which is possible. Um, I've, I've had interviews where, like, I've left and I've called the recruiter and was, you know, I, I called and I left a message saying, hey, I'd really like to work here. These people are awesome. And they were talking to the recruiter at that point going, we want to bring him in. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's like the first job I had. I interviewed on a Wednesday and they called me Friday with an offer. Yeah. I mean, it's just like that That does. Like sometimes you just make an impression and that's what it was. I made a really great impression, which was hilarious because of all the stuff that was going on. I've told you all about that. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, normally for us, we don't really make a big impression unless we fall down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how do you like that meteor joke right there? That was a good one. That was a good one. But the other thing this can mean is that they need to get someone, anyone, uh, to fill a position because they're badly overloaded or they have contractual reasons. They're supposed to have a certain number of people on a project, regardless of whether those people can do it or not. A lot of shops really treat developers as if they're interchangeable, which results in them being burnt out and frequently interchanged. So you do have to kind of keep your eyes open for this. Um, Sometimes there's also the whole client demand thing. So like they just got a whole bunch of new clients. They're hiring a bunch of new devs to do the work for those clients. And five months down the road, those jobs are going to be gone. Mm -hmm. And so are those devs. You just got to be really careful, especially in contracting situations that you know what you're getting into with this. Yeah. Um, But also, they're in a hurry to get done talking to you when you are on phone calls with them. Besides expressing contempt, this tends to show a lack of appreciation for what you bring to the table. It could also be indicative of the current team being extremely overworked. Uh, If someone is too busy to even make sure they get help, they're probably too busy to be helped. Yeah. And this can often mean that you won't be kept at the current position for very long or you need to work your way up the learning curve more quickly than you probably can. So let's talk about some of the things that can go wrong during the phone interview. Um, the first one is if the interviewers have not looked at your resume and it's very obvious, this is a big red flag because it indicates that the current employees are not engaged or whoever is doing the interview is not engaged in what they're supposed to be doing. 
there's a reason for whatever that is. It makes it also very difficult to evaluate your suitability for a particular job because you're sitting there right in front of them the first time they look at your resume. Not Mm -hmm. a good sign. This could be because you're not getting the job anyway or they don't care whether you get it or not because they figure you're expendable and there's 50 more like you in the line right behind you. Yeah. Sometimes management will also send their underlings in completely unprepared because management was supposed to be there. And they're like, oh, you just do the interview. I don't care (laughs) Um, because management's not engaged. I've worked at companies like that. If you get in and you're comfortable and you're actually able to take load off of your manager in that situation, that actually can work out all right. But um, it's still very dysfunctional. I mean, sometimes things happen. Yeah. Sometimes the, you know, like they got... HR person sent them the wrong resume and they figured it out 10 minutes before the meeting and they just printed it out and it's not their fault. Yeah. I mean, that, that happens. And the thing is what the reason we're giving you these is these are flags or indicators and it's all right. One of them might be something. Uh, I've actually had uh, that situation where uh, we were talking about there where they came in with the wrong resume. Yeah. They called me the wrong name. And I'm like, um, that's that's not me. And they're like, they looked down and they're like, I'm sorry, they handed us the wrong resume. I'll be right back. And they walked out and came back in. You know, and I mean that that happens. That happens. In general, if you can't figure out why your interviewers are there, then the job is unlikely to be a good fit. And it usually means that the company itself is just very disorganized. Yeah, it can also mean that the expectations on employees are completely different than you would have expected and that you might find something surprising, not in a good way, when you get hired. Mm -hmm. I worked for one company that it was supposed to be a programming job and I ended up managing the local network, handling the firewall, running cable, tutoring other developers, going to client sites, fixing their networks. Um, just all kinds of other stuff. And the way they interviewed me was kind of like this. They just didn't know. And it's like, okay, we've got an IT guy. Yeah. You know, if you could do all that other stuff and you're okay with it, you might be all right. And you might be really valuable and help the company get some focus and you can lead the department that you're about to create. Um, but if you're just brought in as a jack of all trades, it, it's not good. Mm-hmm. And I think it also depends on the size of the company too, with that one. Like, if you're brought in as someone to do a lot of different IT work at a small or a startup company that is not an IT startup, that's one thing. Um, usually that'll be part of the interview process. Um, they may not know what they need from you when they're, they're going through that. Uh, however, if it's a medium-sized or uh, a tech startup or a well-established, or I say well-established, but an established company, and they're doing this, that's when this becomes more of a red flag. Yeah. So another thing that can happen is they start trying to convince you that you'd be happy using crappy old tech. Um, Now, if you're a masochist, then whatever. Or if you're, you know, like you and I can be fairly happy doing things with very, very strange tech stacks. You know, like, because we're, we're motivated, I guess, somewhat, oddly sometimes, but for the most part, you don't really want to do this for your whole career. Like I don't want to do that for my Mm -hmm. whole career. I want to work on newer stuff because the people that get left behind get left behind and they have to catch up on their own. Oh yeah. 
I was just thinking about the the uh, person we had come to uh, Dev Launchpad that one time who needed help because they had asked her to work on some very low level stuff. And you and I were like, oh, this is fun. We love to help out with this anytime you need it. But yeah, but I wouldn't want my ability to pay for a meal to be based on my understanding of the AT Mega yeah. chipset. <laughs> Because I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah. Know? Actually, I'd just be really, really hungry for a couple of months and I'll probably get real good at it. But uh, it's going to be bad for, for yeah, a hot yeah. minute. But one thing I've seen with some companies is they'll actually start denigrating the newer technology. And they'll just talk down about, uh, you know, I've, I've worked at companies that legitimately early on, people were like trash talking web developers. Just in general, because it was all heavy desktop stuff. And they couldn't understand why the web developers couldn't do things the way they deal on the desktop. And they were negative the whole time. You know, and, and, and that's not to say that newer tech doesn't have plenty of problems. Um, like any of your build tools in JavaScript for crying out loud. It's generally not a good sign when that sort of thing comes up in an interview in just a completely negative sense. Now, if they're expressing that they're having specific problems that you might be able to help them with, that's another thing, right? Like if they're going, man, Webpack is killing me. Webpack makes me want to day drink, which pretty much has that effect on lots of people. Uh, but they're like, hey, you beach, you know how to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, let's talk about Webpack and the problems I'm having. That's a good thing because ne- they have a specific goal for you. But if they're just complaining, yeah. it's not good. Yeah, and I've I have spoken with, uh, this was after I got the job, but... Um, and it wasn't in the interview process at all. It was with a, a manager who was like, yeah, I don't was like, I know how to do this old stuff, but I don't know any about anything about what you do. And it just amazes me. The stuff you guys do that kind of attitude. You kind of want that really. Yeah. Cause they'll leave you alone and they'll let you make the right decisions. Yeah. And they'll, they'll respect your decisions. They'll understand them from a tech standpoint. Like sometimes you can bring it up and be like, hey, remember when you were a developer and people didn't understand what you were talking about? You know, and it gives you a, it gives you a starting point for conversations with them too. A computer, that's like a teletype, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> no, we really taught rocks how to do math, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh you gotta be careful about this, especially if they're dismissive or arrogant. Uh, towards more reasonable modern software practices mm-hmm. that indicates the attitude that you're going to be dealing with if you get hired and want to do something reasonable like oh i don't know testing yeah now another thing that can happen is they might be apologetic about their use of ancient technology so you have to decide whether you're interested in the older tech in that case uh, make sure you do this because of the opportunities that that older tech will provide you um, and not because you're desperate right if you go, hey, I really want to learn some subset of software that heavily uses Fox Pro all over the place, and here's a job that's got Fox Pro involved, mm-hmm. great. But you don't take that job just because you got to eat, because you're going to be miserable, and it's going to it's going to have an opportunity cost for getting a job that you actually enjoy. Yeah. Um, again, this doesn't apply after an economic collapse or anything, but like in the current situation. Mm-hmm. You got to remember that older technology is not necessarily bad, but it may not be the best choice if you're early in your career or you just want to work with newer stuff. 
also earlier in your career, it may be that you went to school and you learned an older tech in school and you want to do that. So like there's, you know, yeah, there's wiggle room or you're like, Hey, I want to work on this older tech that the military uses because they have a very different process, right? Like they are not writing stuff in angular to run a battleship. No, I hope we, we have a friend who, uh, who did some stuff like that military contract work. And he, it was right up his alley. He absolutely loved doing it. Yeah. So, uh, whatever you do, don't let anyone push you into a set of tech that's not a good fit for you or your career goals. Early on, I got kind of crammed into one where I was supposed to be doing .NET and they pushed me into classic Visual Basic, which I was comfortable with at that point, and Fox Pro, which never I've never really had a comfort level with it. I've used it and I don't it you will never see that on my resume. That that's not good from a long-term career growth thing, right? Like if I'd stayed there, I would have been stunned. Now I only stayed there a couple of weeks. So it didn't matter because I was just there was yeah. other problems. No, I mean I I understand that. I I have thankfully not had that experience um and hopefully will not but um, next, they seem distracted, dismissive, or disengaged. Yeah. In general, you can expect that the bearing of the interviewers is as positive and as nice as you can expect during your tenure at a position. I mean, they're going to be on their best behavior. It's, uh, this reminds me of something that we talk about in the, the dating a single small group I lead at church, which is, you know, when you're dating, it, you know, the person is on their best behavior. Yeah. Or they're on their better behavior, depending on what part of the relationship yeah. it is. It's not as bad as they could get. It's true. If they're a pain in the butt, when you meet them across the interview table, it is not going to get better. Uh, the only possible exception to this is the case when you're interviewing with a cranky old guy to whom you have to prove yourself. So you got somebody that's been using old tech and they've seen a lot of younger people come and go who can't do the work or don't have the work ethic or whatever. Um, if you prove yourself to that guy, you've got an ally for life, especially if they have strong skills and they're cranky because they have to deal with bad developers. Like this person could be a great mentor. I've had several. You of are those. one of those. Um, how, <sighs> I didn't want to say it that way. <laughs> hey, you know what? You were my mentor, so yeah. I can say it that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, give or take, that's probably fair. Um, however, if the interviewer doesn't have any noticeable, useful skill, it's a good bet that you're going to just be dealing with their attitude in less favorable situations later with mm -hmm. no upside. Uh, the disengagement thing can also mean that the interviewer is on their way out. Uh, while this is an exceptional opportunity to replace this person, if you play your cards right, it can end in disaster if they actually had a good reason to leave. So, you know, hey, they got a better job, they're retiring, they're starting their own company, and they're leaving, and they want to make sure the company is in a good spot and good hands. You get that job, you're in a good spot. If they're leaving because their boss is toxic and you get promoted where they're, that boss is now your boss, not so good. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have to ask some questions to figure this out. Sometimes, like, you know, the interviewer has gotten a great opportunity and this is the perfect place for you to step in. Uh, however, if they are disengaged, it's more likely that they're simply just over this job and just done with the process altogether. When they leave, whoever replaces them, 
will be suspicious of any choices they made, including hiring you. Yeah, especially if you're not the one that's the replacement. Yeah. Um, or you get to be suspicious of all your coworkers if you thought that person made bad decisions. Right. Um, it's just really ugly. So now we're going to talk about the follow-up to the interview and some red flags that you might see there. First off, they take too long to contact you back. Oh my goodness, I, I had this happen where you remember this too, don't you? Like. I interviewed at a place before the the job I I got, and then it was about two months later. It was like right across the street from where you used to work too. It was like right down the road. I interviewed at this place. They did not get back to me. Like the recruiter said, "Oh yeah, they're interviewing a few other people. You were the first person they interviewed. They really liked you, but they're they're wanting to be thorough." I'm like, "All right, well that, that's cool." I interviewed. I got the job. Then they come back to me and like, oh, hey, we want to give you this. We we make want to make an offer. And I'm like, I already got a job. They're like, well, what are you making? We'll offer you more money than that. And I'm like, I had been there for like a month, you know? Yeah. And I'm really glad I didn't leave because it turned out to be a really great opportunity. But, you know, that that happens where they, they took, what, like three months to get back to me? It seems like it was like at least three. It was some yeah. ridiculous amount. And companies do this. There's, there's companies that will quickly interview you and then you don't hear anything from them. Mm -hmm. And it tends to indicate that they've got multiple potential hires and you're not the first one in the list. Think about it this way. If you were dating and the person you were interested in did this to you, how would you interpret it? Typically you would interpret that as they're not that interested and you move on. Now imagine that your mortgage is riding on your correct interpretation of the situation. Like the stakes are higher, right? Like, it hurts and you're broke. So I, I do want to say one one thing here. If you're dating and someone does this to you, you should move on. But there are a lot of people, a that lot don't. of people out here who would be like, oh, they're giving me attention. Oh my goodness. I, they're giving me attention. No, no. You're a second thought. You're an afterthought. You're not who they want to be with. And if the opportunity right. ever arises, they're going to leave. Same with a company. You're not who they yeah. want in the position. And as soon as the opportunity to bring in the person they want is there, they're going to let you go. Yeah. You're gone. Yeah. You're not Mr. Right. You're Mr. Right now. Yeah. Now this also applies for any other communication with the company for the entire hiring pipeline. Uh, it's inevitable in a longer hiring process that some steps take time. Background checks are a really good example of this. It's also reasonable that your interviewer will tell you how long things normally take. They should have an idea before they subject somebody to this. Mm -hmm. You got to remember that you could be between jobs when this is occurring. So can you afford to waste six weeks unemployed waiting on a response that lets you make a living again if the response is yes? Um, now, this happened to me last uh, fall. Or, well, early, I guess it was like really late summer. I had one that they took forever and they took forever and I went ahead and started interviewing other places and they finally got back and said, yeah, we didn't find a position for you. It's yeah. like, okay, it's a, it's a multi-billion dollar company. Like you didn't like me. That's fine. But go ahead and tell me. Don't drag this stuff out for months because I was between jobs by the time they told me that. And if I had trusted them, I would have been really in the hole. Um, See, so you don't want to do that. If they don't have respect for you, at a level that shows that they respect your need to make an income, 
that's not going to get better. Uh, they're going to treat mm-hmm. you worse when you're hired and there's now a risk to you. Next, there are too many rounds of interviews before any sort of interest is expressed. Some companies are just straight up paralyzed by the prospect or the fear of making the wrong decision. Or they have too many people involved in decisions to be decisive. Uh, This can be really frustrating. Um, And it's, it's one of those things that larger corporations do this just because they're, you know, they do have a larger process. Smaller companies that do this is like a big indicator of, Hey, something's up here. Yeah. They're scared. I mean, I've worked, uh, you know, I've interviewed at places um, where five or six or seven interview cycles over Mm -hmm. a period of like eight weeks. Yeah. And of course you do that while you're, you're interviewing for other jobs because it's like, I'll still interview because, Hey, it may be a really good deal. And if I can get in and it is a good deal, I know their hiring process sucks. So they're not going to replace me real quick. Yeah, that's fine. But I can't, I can't put the mortgage on that. No, I mean, I've, I've been a part of, of interview processes where it was like, you know, I mean, I've been on the hiring end of them where I was the third third level interview as a, as a developer, as a coworker of the person um, where they bring them in for a group interview. And we're like, we're given their responses to fate to like the second one. It's like come in first interview is with management. Second one is a like coding challenge or something. And then third interview uh, is, is with the team and stuff. And there have been times legitimately where we had two or three people that we really liked that we brought in for a fourth interview because we're like, all right, we want to figure out we're that third level. We like the team couldn't decide who to pick because we're all like, we, we liked three, like two or three people too much. Yeah. So we brought them in a fourth round to be like, all right, this is like, we've got you, we've narrowed it down to you and one or two other people. And we're we're trying to decide who's going to be like who's going to be able to do what we need and fit the team and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I and I can see this happening too if the person is especially critical like the development team is doing the interviews for a head of development. Mm-hmm. Like if they're interviewing their boss, you know, that might be a different dynamic, but if you're just a frontline developer and it's you know, five rounds of interviews. And especially if it's spread out over weeks, that's, that's a red flag because what happens if you don't get it? You know, like, you know, most people in this country don't have enough savings to just be out of work for six months while they look for the perfect fit. So you just got to kind of filter them, even if it might've been the perfect fit. There was a company that I looked at and I did a bunch of interviews with, it would have been probably awesome. Just all the stuff that they were doing, but they were too slow. Like I said, when I got my first job, I was interviewing at several other places and like going through their interview process, I was still interviewing at other places because just because I got a second round interview doesn't mean I got the job. It's exciting. It's worth cracking open a beer or pouring yourself a little bit of bourbon when you get a second round interview. I mean, that's cool. Third round too, but that doesn't guarantee you the job. Yeah. Till you sign those papers, you don't have the job. So you keep interviewing. That's what I'm getting at. Finally, 
once you get the job, um, kind of your first week, you know, one thing that just really stands out, and that is there are too many newcomers in the company. You know, when most of the development staff have been at the company for only a short time, you really need to find out why. Now, if it is like in my case, um, where like three or four of us were hired on within the course of a year or so because they were making a transition and they were bringing on people who could do what they were wanting to do to help the other developers learn it, that's one thing. But we found out why. That's the thing. You need to find out why Why are so many people coming on new. Um, it could be the company has recently gone through a growth spurt. Uh, the risk here is that the company has grown too fast and the jobs might go away through no fault of your own or their own. I mean, it just might be they they grew too fast, they expanded too fast. Yeah, um, especially if they think the market is going to stay like it is. Because um, work, yeah. I've worked at some companies that were like, oh, we can double the size of our dev team. And then six months later, we can double it again. And sure, you absolutely can. But the problem is, is when the market takes a hit and you don't have a revenue stream that is resistant to that, you've got to mm-hmm. cut expenses. Yeah. And so like a whole bunch of people lose their jobs and you don't want to be one mm-hmm. of those new people that gets cut off um, mm-hmm. with that. And I've been through several rounds of that at this point. No, could also be that they have a lot of turnover. Um, and if this is the case, there is a reason for it. I need to figure out what that is before you get hit by it. Right. So a lot of times it's toxic management or toxic coworkers who've been there for a very long time. Because one, one dynamic mm-hmm. you'll see a lot of is where there's two or three people that have been there for like 20 years. And then there's a whole bunch of people that have been there less than two. Yeah. And they just keep cycling out. It's like, okay, there, there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. Whatever that happens to be. It might be that, hey, they can't advance. And you could say, okay, I'm going to stay here for a year and find something after that. It could also be, hey, you know, after a year, these people are completely sick of the company or they never got a raise or whatever and they leave. There's something going on there. So yeah. you do have to find out what that is. Basically, what it really comes down to, though, is if the environment has recently undergone major changes, there are liable to be delayed reactions to those changes, whether you know it's too many newcomers coming in or they had massive layoffs or even they moved locations, they changed what their main product is. It's not necessarily always bad, but you need to know what it actually is. You should have a good idea within a few hours as to what caused the influx of new developers. Sometimes it can be because management changed um, and the new management just hired a bunch of new people. Um, This could even be a good thing, right? They came in, you know, the company, you know, got sold for a dime on the dollar because they weren't doing well and they got a new management group in. Those people hired people to clean it up and they're doing it and you're going to be one of them. That looks great on resume. I've seen that happen. Yeah. I've had, like, I haven't experienced, well, I've not experienced it in development, but I've, I've seen friends of ours go through stuff like that. Yeah. Where they got brought in to do exactly that. And I mean, it is slightly similar to what happened at my first, the first job I got after my apprenticeship, where I was brought in to help with that transition to newer technology. 
Right. Um, but they weren't trying to like get rid of people. It was, all right, if you can, if you can stay and learn the new stuff, we want you because you've got years of experience. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like a pirate raid, right? Like (laughs) you don't want to be on the merchant ship, but if you're a pirate, you came out ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's, it's very similar in dynamic. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, you'll also see this happen when there's a change in funding. So the company might have done well to a certain point and just been really scrappy. And then all of a sudden they raised like a Series A, you know, for their mm-hmm. growth round. They've got venture capital coming in. And now they can hire a whole bunch of developers all at once. Sometimes they don't think about, you know, like how that scales and how you onboard all these people. They just hire them and think it's going to work. That's a little bit of a foul up, but you can come in there and you can be a leader if yeah. you do that. So like it's an opportunity, but you got to figure out how to twist around to that. Uh, if you see a large change in funding, you've got to find out why. Is basically what that comes down to. Yeah, I mean, and this this applies to small organizations, large organizations, like big companies, private sector, public sector. I mean, this is a big thing for no matter what where you are. I know a lot of stuff we've said is like, oh, well, this applies at big companies or this only applies at smaller companies. This is something that applies across the board. Is like a change in funding. Really, you got to look at what's going on and just, you need to find out why. Because it yeah. could be like, and it really could be, hey, this is a great opportunity for you to really step up and grow. But it could also be, hey, you know, this is this was a bad decision, and you yeah. live and learn. So. Yeah, and you're and you know that the job is going away in six months because they're talking mm-hmm. about sending it overseas or shutting the company down or whatever. Just just know what you're getting into. Yeah, um, a new job can make huge changes in your career for good or for ill. You want to make sure that any new job you take is going to help you improve the quality of your career without burning you out. While not every bad job will give you obvious warning signs before you start, most of the worst ones will at least give you some warning of what to expect. That pretty much wraps us up. Beach, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? I saw some code recently. Here uh, we go. We're an old... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I know. Uh, an older developer who is unfamiliar with uh, object relational mappers, specifically the one being used or just them in general, instead of asking someone or learning how to you know, use the code, uh, wrote their own data access layer Yep, for one call. Yeah. Um, now, this was for a microservice. And that call was line of business specific. So it should have been on the business API, not the service. That's a whole nother point. But uh, basically what I want to say is don't be that guy. You know, in this episode, we talked about red flags, things that just jump out to you during the hiring process that this might not be a a good fit for you. Uh, this is a coworker red flag. This is a sign that someone doesn't have the ability to learn newer stuff, or what's more likely is 
they don't have the desire. They don't want to figure out the newer yeah, stuff. Or they don't trust the coworkers sometimes too. But yeah, for yeah. the most part, it's one of those first two. Yeah. I mean, it's a sign that this person just, they don't care enough to figure it out. It's all too easy for us to get into a routine, especially with the tech we know, where, you know, hey, I know how to do it this way. And I know the ins and outs of the problems and all the stuff that goes around doing it this way, especially as we get to that mid to senior level. Yeah. But you can't let your solution be the only one, especially in something like web development. So what I, what I have for you guys is go out there, learn, grow, and don't be that guy. That's all I got. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.